everybody, to episode 21 of Media Sandwich Reheated with Chris, Kyle, and Dan. I'm Chris. I am Kyle. And I am Dan. Gang's all here. And yeah, we nice to be here. Made it to episode 21, made it to year 2021. Oh, yeah, hey, that wasn't even planned. I want to hear about your new van, Kyle. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Kyle got a van. Kyle's wife got a van because this is her dang vehicle. It's in her name. It's uh, she's making the payments. She's been clamoring for a minivan since our second kid was born. So about four years now, she's been saying we're getting a minivan. That's the next vehicle. That's what we're doing. It's happening. And I said, fine, as long as that's your car and not mine. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, just I, the ground kicks a rock. Fine. <laughs> but you know something now uh because it's now the new vehicle that has like it's it was built in this century i really like driving it and i'm sitting in it right now (laughs) uh because i drive now uh, since since i haven't been driving the car uh i i bought my dad's truck off of him the truck that i drove in high school that i learned to drive on is now mine because time is a flat circle (laughs) <laughs> and if 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 not if not uh at any point a smart idea to buy your father's 1998 ford pickup why not 2020 so he finally bought a new truck and i bought his off of him and that's my vehicle now and she's got her van so we're all good we've got utility up the wazoo but she hates the car buying process with a passion. Well, who wouldn't? Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody nobody really enjoys it unless you're really good at haggling, and she's not. She's instantly intimidated by salespeople and all that stuff. So she decided to use CarMax. She went the CarMax route and worked out pretty well, you know. Uh, probably paid more than we needed to, but... That's fine, because the whole process was really easy, and there was no haggling, because they don't they don't haggle on price there. It's like the sticker price is the final price, but everything's kind of streamlined. It's kind of like fast food car shopping. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a sponsorship out of this. CarMax, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it, it totally works, I think. I don't know. The whole time I was kind of skeptical about it because it was like, all right, we're going to take the money from our first stimulus check and we're going to use that as the down payment and uh, I'll make the payments on it. You don't have to worry about it. And I said, okay, (laughs) okay. And, but it makes perfect sense because it's the family vehicle. It's the reliable, safe, again, made in this, this century vehicle because the, well, the the Saturn, the Saturn that uh, Dan and his lovely wife uh, gave us, that is a 2002. My truck is a 1997. Actually, I misspoke before. It's a 1997. So she bought this 2010 minivan, and suddenly I'm flying a frigging I'm flying the Enterprise right now. All of a sudden, <laughs> I've got things I've never dreamed of, like like seat warmers. Oh, those are nice. Yeah, I was bragging to both of you that, hey, while we record, my butt's going to be real warm. 
I always worry about your butt and its warmthness. We we have a we have two minivans. We have my old purple my parents' purple man, uh, van. Uh, deep this purple. is something I absolutely love about Chris Pranger, and I will I will always be amused by it. Is that he never refers to the cars that he's owned based on the make and model. He always just refers to it as the blue car, the purple <laughs> van. We, I mean, when I started, we had the Pranger Mobile, which was an 80, uh, an 89 Dodge Grand Am, or sorry, 89 Dodge. Um, yeah, nope, 89. nope. Pontiac, it makes the Pontiac Grand Am, Am sir. Man, <laughs> the so bad. An 89 Pontiac Grand Am. Thank you. I knew that sounded wrong. Because then I had a, a 2000, uh, sorry, a 1992 Chevy Cavalier, which was the red one that had the slash on the front. And that was the Pranger Mobile Z because it was like a Z24 or something. And then that one broke down in my inherited Shreya. I started using Shreya's old car, which was a 1991 Chevy Cavalier, red, exact same thing and everything, except that one year changed everything. It had, uh, it didn't have a CD player in it. It didn't have power windows and it didn't have as much oomph. So I was losing oomph progressively. And that was the, I think I called that one like son of the Pranger mobile or something. And, and it was still the red car. And then after that, we in Queed got a, Oh, I think it was a 2004. Um, what was that? Oh, a 2004 Chevy Aveo, the blue car, that stupid shoebox that it was, you know, <laughs> it, that was, it was compact. Yeah. Yeah. It was so compact. The, like the engine, everything in the engine was like, crammed in this little shoebox and basically i would go into the mechanic i'd say yeah can you please wind up the rubber band again so that it can go and the problem was that like any any minor repair cost a bunch of money in maintenance or in a uh just labor time because they had to remove the engine to do anything because the engine was on top of everything else so they had to remove the engine almost every time and that would cost a crap ton because then they'd have to put the engine back and then they'd have to recalibrate everything. And it was just always a mess. And so that one broke down so many times. And eventually when we learned we were going to have our first baby, uh, my parents said, hey, if we're going to get a new van, we're going to get this black van. You can have the old purple van. So I'm like, oh, van diesel? Even though it's not a diesel power van, but I just needed a fun name. But then I settled on deep purple and, okay. and or, you know, mother of the Pranger mobile. And so Deep Purple has been this, it's a 1999 um, party machine. Dodge uh, Grand Caravan that I've had for now. Dodge Grand Caravans are great vans. Reliable van. It's, it's definitely feeling old now because it's, it's got a lot of those problems like it's 20 year old van and it's, it's been a workhorse for so long, but it still comes back and it's like, I'm still chugging, man. Um, is uh, it's definitely feeling like it's got problems. Like the windshield wipers, the big bummer is that uh, last year the windshield wiper motor futzed out, and I had to go to a Jiffy Loop, which was a huge mistake. Because I'm like, hey, can you guys um, fix this? And they're like, yeah, we can fix that. Do we normally? <laughs> no, we don't, but we can. It can't be that hard. So I sat in my van for four hours with my mask on, just sitting there basically playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> and then just surf the net and stuff. I'm like, well, this is better than working. And sat there for four hours while the guy installed a motor 
and then didn't know, didn't realize. Basically, they the basic stuff in a windshield wiper is you need to have them calibrated. So they go, and he didn't do that right. And so then I had to spend forever having him fix it. And then I had to come back like within a week or two, I feel like, or, or a couple months. And it turned out that he hadn't tightened it on right. So the thing busted again. So I had to come back in and, and they're like, oh, we'll fix that. And no charge because that's on us. I'm like, hey, I'm not complaining. That's, I mean, I am, but I'm not going <laughs> to get mad. I don't want anyone to feel bad about this because it can't be easy. Like, actually, this is super easy. I'm like, well, I'm trying to be nice to the guy. Like, whoever <laughs> did it had a bad day. I don't, you know, I don't even need to know who it was. Like, well, just so you know, he was, he's pretty, it was pretty dumb of him. I'm like, okay, I'm sure he's fine normally. He is, he's great. We're going to beat him. We'll beat him later for you. Yeah, I'm like, okay, like, tell him, tell him thank you anyway. Dang. And so now my windshield wipers suck. They just suck. And, and that's the frustration is that, you know, you'd think, oh, windshield wipers, that's not too bad. Like, oh, you live in California, Southern California, don't you? You don't live in Oregon. Windshield wipers are one of the most important things you need in your vehicle. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And so like, yeah, that's that van. But then we also have um, the town and country, which is the black van. And I think that's a 2006, maybe 2004, 2006, something like that. Maybe 2010 even might even be that new. <laughs> yeah. It might be 2010. I don't know. It's town and country. It's black. It's the black van. And that's yeah. all I'm saying. Black van, the purple van. And the, uh, the town and country has a lot of the newer things you say, like it has, you know, I can press the beep and it, and the beep boop and, and the side doors can open and the, the back can pop open or. Oh yeah. You know, that's a lot of fun. It's got a CD player and it's got a DVD player for the kids and none of that works because <laughs> it breaks so easy. So right now, like our CD player, cause the stupid, Oh, the, oh, the thing is so dumb. It's so stupid. They added too many tech things. Cause it's like, what if instead of a CD player, which we've had around for like 30 years now, and we just don't need to mess with that design, CD player designs worked. What if instead of that, we got rid of buttons and made it a touch panel? Everything's a touch panel. Like, okay, so you're going to have a touch panel that works really well? No, the touch panel is always broken. But how do you put a CD in? Like, how do you put a CD in? You have to press the, the button to open up the CD player, obviously. So it, like, swivels off the touch panel and reveals the behind the touch panel is where you put the CD in. Okay. Yeah. And some, it's going to frequently get offset and think that it needs to eject while the thing is closed. And it's going to try to close. It's going to be open and it's going to think it, it doesn't need to eject. And I'm like, okay, so that's stupid. I'm like, yeah. And also it's going to break constantly. Okay, cool. And how is that DVD player? It was great about five years ago. It doesn't work anymore. Mm, okay. When did we learn this? You learned it when you promised the children they could watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on the 45-minute car ride to the grandparents. Like, mm, that's a good time to learn that. That's a great the salesman time. is really winning me over, man. It's yeah. his honesty. And at the very least, it's like, what does this car have going for? Oh, yeah, it actually, like, drives well, and it heats up instantly, and it has seat warmers, and it has good air conditioning, and, and it's a good car, and the, the trunk space is amazing. But, like, all of the fancy bells and whistles, whistles are not working. They are broken. <laughs> I don't know how steeped in van culture you are, but do you remember when they put the sliding door on the left side as well yeah. as the right side? Everybody lost their mind. It's like, oh my yeah, god, that was a this game changer. I remember that because yeah. when I was a kid, we had a Plymouth Voyager. It was the the blue van, 
Dodge yeah, right. Caravan, by the way. It's the same damn van, I'm pretty sure. It was, it was lost in the Delta Quadrant, but then it made its way back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That I is a Voyager reference, and you will honor it. That's that's the noise that they used in that show. When the nacelles bent, they used the noise of the dual sliding doors opening. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I absolutely love pressing a button and the back doors slide open, the the back hatch opens. That stuff, again, that's what makes it feel like I'm flying a, a friggin' space shuttle all of a sudden, because both of the other cars don't even have power locks or power windows on them. They still got the hand crank windows. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole big thing. We do have a DVD player. It came with that. I think once Rosalie found out that you could do that, that you could put a DVD player in a van, she suddenly got stars in her eyes and said, I want to go to there because (laughs) then the kids will be watching something in the car and not fighting each other and such. Mm. Uh, I made a huge mistake because we got the van like maybe a week before Christmas. So Merry Christmas to her. That was her main gift. Mm hmm. Uh, but big red bow. <laughs> uh, you know, it was the coolest thing when we when we did car uh, CarMax. We went there. She and I picked a day, and that was the day we went uh, Christmas shopping. And they suddenly called her up. You got to do everything by appointment right now because you know the yeah. the, the disease that rules everybody's life now. And they called her up and they were like, hey, the van that you want is here. You should come take a look at it real fast because it's going to go fast. So we booked it across town to do it and sat there for an hour, did all the paperwork, did all the stuff. We took it for a test drive. You know, everything was great. And they were like, OK, let's just do the down payment stuff real fast and uh, they knew that the kids were waiting for us. We were like, our kids are waiting for us on the other side of town. We really got to go. And they're like, okay, fine. Let's get the down payment going and we'll prep the car for you. Me, I go out to, uh, I go out to my truck that's been parked there. And I think I was like going to get the car seats to put them in the van or something like that. She wanted to roll up and surprise the kids and pick them up in the van. And the, our bank, uh, wouldn't let the down payment go through Ugh. because we, you know, it's, there's like a transaction limit or something. And even though we called them ahead of time and said, Hey, we need our transaction limit increased. Cause we're doing a car down payment today. Maybe they yeah. said, okay, that's fine. Everything's cool. And then it wasn't. So <laughs> we went through all of that and had to leave without the damn thing. And the worst part is that we get in the truck, my truck, and we're pulling away like, all right, well, let's go pick up the kids, you know, empty handed and whatnot. And worst part is we've got all the Christmas presents in the back of my truck. And mm-hmm. we were like, this works out great. All the presents are in the truck, but I'll pick up the kids in the van. You get home first, get all the stuff in the house without them seeing. Mm-hmm. Everything's gravy. This worked out better than we could have hoped. And instead, we're like, OK, <laughs> Let's pull away from the the babysitter's house and cover up everything with a blanket. Mm-hmm. But as we're pulling out of CarMax, we see the van sitting in the loading bay with a big bow on it. Oh, <laughs> they put on there for her, and I'm like, oh man, that sucks. Mm. And we see them pull it off of there, 
and she's just she's sitting there with her hands crossed across her chest. She's just so pissed and <laughs> about to call the bank. Yeah, it's like 6 p.m. at this point, so the bank's closed and whatnot, but she's going to give somebody an earful the next day. And she just kind of hears me idly go, oh, the bow is magnetic. That's clever. <laughs> she kicks me really hard. She's like, will you shut up? That's how Kyle got those road burns on his knees, because he was pushed yeah. out of a moving vehicle. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was a fun process, but the DVD player turned out to be hilarious for, okay, we've got to go run like 30 errands, me and the kids. And I really don't want to take the, like, my wife has discovered if she sends the kids with me to the store, I'll come home a hell of a lot faster, mm-hmm. because I I don't want to deal with the two of them in a store without backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But while driving around, I brought out like three discs of, I cracked open my DVD book because I put all my DVDs in a big book a couple of years back to save space in our house. Mm-hmm. So I cracked open the book and I'm like, Oh, Hey, my kids are getting really into Rugrats. So I grabbed the, a whole season of Rugrats discs. Nice. Nice. And the kids are like, oh, we want to watch the, the, you know, the Christmas episode. We want to watch the Hanukkah episode, the Passover episode. They just went through That's all the right holidays. You do. <laughs> yes. My kids know a lot more about, about Jewish holidays than they should, Dan. <laughs> Rugrats Passover was Rugrats was the only Jewish media that existed for like four decades. It really was. Craziest. It's so crazy. But, yeah, so we're rolling around watching Rugrats, and that has backfired because we've been watching the same dozen episodes of Rugrats for about a month. (laughs) And, I mean, I watched Rugrats a lot when I was a little tyke, so I'm just like, we we need something else in here. What what else will you guys watch in here? It's like, no, this is fine. Like, no, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) I never long for Paw Patrol, but... (laughs) It would be new. It would be something new. Oh, geez. But no, it's a good it's a good vehicle. I'm very glad to have it. The kids help me name every car, so that happened very quickly. Uh the the Saturn, because it's a nice dark green, uh my son and I landed on calling it Gamora. Nice. Because the Kia that we had previously, which was uh, a nice little SUV thing that I, of course, uh, drove in the snow once and wrecked it. Uh, That was Zoe. Uh, My truck is still what it was when I was 16 years old, so nobody can judge me for calling it what I call it, which is the Rum Runner. (laughs) Because, you know... Pirates were really, really big when I was 15, 16 years old. Chris can attest to this. There was a pirate phase. In fact, we met when we were pirates. That's true. (laughs) Speaking of not believing in magic much anymore, anybody see Wonder Woman 84? I didn't. I, I feel bad that I have not seen Wonder Woman 84 and I haven't seen Soul because everybody is losing their mind in both ways against both. And I'm like, I'll wait for a few weeks and then i'll watch them or i won't and that's kind of where i'm at with those i'm, I'm here to tell you because i know you and i know your reaction to most movies at this point and i honestly think with both of them you're kind of fine 
Mm-hmm. You probably could just skip them both, and you'd probably be happier for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, Wonder Woman 84, I actually didn't hate. I felt like, a, I felt insane during that week where the reaction to both of those movies was happening, because Soul, I feel, got a whole lot of accolades. A lot of people love that movie, and I thought it was fine. It really didn't do much for me. I, I gave my hot take on Twitter, which was I thought Onward was more fun. Mm. I kind of liked Onward better than Soul, and I feel like it's definitely my problem. Like, Soul just didn't speak to me. I think a big, hefty dose of it is that I wasn't expecting the Tina Fey character to be more prominent than the Jamie Foxx character seemed to be for most of the movie. Interesting. yeah, it's 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 fine. I a lot of people are treating it like the same way that Inside Out made adults feel when they watched it, and I didn't get that at all. Uh, but Correct. my kids, my kids liked it. You know, my kids liked it, and that was fine. Wonder Woman eighty four is getting roasted, even now, like several weeks later, is getting roasted, and. I, I I thought it was fun. It's definitely flawed. It's got problems. It It is to Wonder Woman what Spider-Man 3 is to Spider-Man, but Chris, you liked Spider-Man 3, so maybe you wouldn't have such a problem with it. I liked the two Amazing Spider-Man movies as well, because I'm like, I can, like, I guess the difference is, I don't think I would like Wonder Woman 84, because I'm not going to see it in a theater with that experience with people I'll see it at home and I'll be like, okay. And it's just not going to, I'm not going to get that. Like I am very easily swayed by the energy of a movie theater. Oh yeah. I've always been that way where I will go in and I've, I went in and I enjoyed Spider-Man three. I enjoyed X-Men three, the last stand for God's sake. Like I enjoyed the first Ninja Turtles, uh, Michael Bay produced Ninja Turtle movie in theater. I liked Pacific Rim, I liked um, a whole bunch of stuff that's like, in retrospect, I rewatch it, I'm like, wow, that's not great. Uh, I liked Rim, Captain when I saw it in theaters, but when I saw it at home, I was like, oh, I just don't have the same energy, and I'm kind of kind of not feeling it this time. But like, and like, even watching like, um, Doctor Strange, the first time, I watched that only at home. And I've only ever watched it once, because for some reason, I just didn't have the same energy that kept me like, excited about it. Uh, like Doctor other movies. Strange. I think Doctor Strange is like the one Marvel movie that I didn't see in theaters, and I kind of regret it because I, I really like it. It's different, but... I thought, yeah, it was different, and it was I thought it was good. It was my least favorite Marvel movie, just I think partly because I didn't get that normal energy boost that I would get from all the other ones, because that energy is so palpable. And I saw... Did I see Wonder Woman in theaters? I feel like I did, because I was on top with that. I liked that first Wonder Woman movie. Um, I remember seeing Man of Steel, and that that was the first one that I saw in theaters that didn't, um, the energy didn't pay off for me, where I was like, oh, I I left the theater in, like, angry tears. I was so furious at Man of Steel. And then I went and saw um, Batman v Superman with a friend, knowing full well that it was a hot mess. And I was like, I got to see how hot this mess is. It can't truly be. Oh, it is. It's very hot. It's hot and messy. And so 
Yeah. So with me, I think like Wonder Woman 84, I've now seen two big in-depth reviews of it. So I know everything that happens. I've ruined it for myself, I guess, but I've enjoyed those reviews. One was from a more critical and one was from a more, I mean, one was Stuckman. So it was like, okay, he had a lot of, he, he came at it from the way that I enjoy that he always comes at stuff where he, he's very fair, but when he sees problems, he calls them out. And if he sees stuff that he likes, he calls it out. He's like, yeah, he liked parts of it, but he also thought that it was so weird. And, and, you know, he emphasizes like, you know, I think the director writer, she's great. And I, think she deserves more chances to do movies and this one was not a perfect one and that's okay that happens it's like it's, yeah. weird energy. it's it's a movie full of weird energy uh, my chief problem with it is that it's two and a half hours long and it feels like it could have easily been two separate movies because i really i mean cheetah is a great villain character and what they were trying to do with Kristen Wiig is very like Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, kind yeah, of. Yeah. And that's great. They could have done that and they could have done the 1980s setting to kind of, you know, provide a good background to that character and how, you know, her transformation is... You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the movie about misogyny just being everywhere in the 1980s and funny how things kind of haven't changed all that much, etc. Yeah, well, they put it in the 80s. I, I, I have spoken with all the directors and writers. Clearly, I know everything. The, they put it in the 80s because they needed to explain why Superman and Batman wouldn't help. So they're like, oh, they weren't on the planet or grown up yet. And then right. somebody probably said, should we have more stuff about why it's in the 80s? And that's where you get the Chris Pine out of water wearing the 80s clothing and you get the Kristen Wiig dealing with 80s, you know, man culture. So, well, the, yeah, the director did a good job of utilizing that motif. Yeah, no, sure. And I, I like I like the execution of the 80s stuff. It feels very much like the good parts of Captain Marvel you know, doing the 90s without without picking up a VHS tape and bashing you over the face with the fact that it's the 90s. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they did the same thing with the 80s in this one, but I felt like Cheetah and the 1980s was all its own separate movie. And then Chris Pine's Return and The Wishing Stone and Pedro Pascal as Maxwell Lord all could have been its own separate movie, and it probably would have been... You could have even shot them together, like, you know, Back to the Future 2 and 3 style, or Matrix 2 and 3 style, or Pirates of the Caribbean 2 or 3 style, whatever your 2 and 3 is. You could have <laughs> shot them together and released them as Wonder Woman 2 and Wonder Woman 3, and yeah. it would have been great. I think it would have worked out really well, but it's it's really bloated it uh, cheetah ends up feeling exactly the way venom does in spider-man 3 as like oh right we're doing this character it's kind of an afterthought and it looks kind of like garbage by the end of it and yeah she doesn't team up with uh pedro pascal till like the last act and if they had teamed up sooner to the last like half hour after being gone for almost 45 minutes in the middle yeah, well, I didn't say third act. I said last act. The movie has like 50 acts. <laughs> she, it's, yeah. I was very confused how they 
dealt with her. There's there's like three points in the movie that are poison to the movie as a whole. If you took them out, I think it probably would have gotten better reviews. The first one is there's a scene where you know you see it in the trailer where she's like on top of one car with her legs pushing another car on a desert road and it's an action scene <clears throat> so there's one part where she gets knocked off and then she's like running to catch up and we've seen superhero enhanced individuals run faster than normal individuals we saw it in uh what is it in, um infinity war when captain america is running faster than everybody else at the very last battle and we've seen it in captain america civil war when he's running in that tunnel as fast as cars are running they they make it look really really good and i think dc said let, we don't want to copy marvel so let's make this look as bad as possible <laughs> and you see her running and she's clearly running on a treadmill in front of a green screen and then she cocks her head to suggest they were going to have a bullet fly past her and they just forgot to put it in. <laughs> so <clears throat> she's cocking her head like a dog, like her. But it's supposed the music tells you this is supposed to be some wonderful, badass moment. She just looks like a dog running on a treadmill. So that ruined that whole action scene. The other part is when she's fighting Cheetah. Now, the design of Cheetah is great. And through the plot of the movie it's established she's on equal footing to wonder woman and so you're thinking oh man how what is wonder woman going to deal with this you know her friend clark deals with his equals by snapping their neck and what is wonder woman going to do and it turns out you know I, i'm going to say spoiler 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 and i'm going to envision the clips that we would use for the old show um wonder woman grabs cheetah and she's in the water she's like i'm gonna give you one last chance to you know give up your your bad ways and cheetah was like f you and so this power line falls in the water and wonder woman's like well sucks to be you and it knocks cheetah out like it doesn't kill her it just stuns her i'm like but you're both in the water and you're supposed to be equal and you know it's like one part of my brain as well she's wearing that armor i'm like the armor made of metal in the water <laughs> it's just it's terrible and then there's the final part that everybody's been talking about where chris pine you know the method that he comes back is that he inhabits somebody else's body and wonder woman is like all i can see is you chris and from that point on you and the audience we all just see chris pine because he's just so dreamy and then there's there's a love scene and <clears throat> it's pretty hard to avoid the connotations of somebody's body being used without their consent and then at the end after chris pine is gone wonder woman has like a conversation with the dude who's back in his body and he's pretty well adjusted for someone who was like wished out of existence for a few weeks but you know wonder woman's standing next to him and it's snowing and it's christmas and i just she kept looking at him, and the audience expects her to say, like, I've seen you naked. And he's like, what? And then it just cut to black. So it was a very weird It's There are a scenes. lot of really strange-ass choices like that, like putting Chris Pine in another dude's body. And the method of which that he comes back is a magic wishing stone. So really, 
you can make up whatever rules to that you want, and they decided to go with that. Uh, it there there's all sorts of there are also I mean you know and people have gone very in depth as to the weird parts of it. I will say that there are a lot of things about the movie that totally do work there, but again. It's too much movie. There is an opening scene that's a flashback to her as a little girl on Themyscira that is like 15 minutes long, and it's all the cold open before the title. Yeah. That's way too long. It's a fine sequence. It's very laborious, and the point of it is it's smashed over our heads very hard and yet doesn't have very much bearing on the movie at all. Very strange, but... After the title, we then get another opening sequence, which is her fighting uh, jewel thieves in a mall in 1984. That scene is great because it establishes the 80s. It's very campy and silly. People have compared it a lot to the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, which that's the tone that the movie hits for a lot of it is... Oh, yeah, it's kind of like an 80s or 90s superhero movie where it's not afraid to be silly because, hey, this is a character wearing a dumb costume and they have superpowers and it's it's for children. This is ridiculous. Let's lean into the the ridiculous aspects of it a little when it does that stuff. I think the movie totally shines. That mall sequence is great. I really wish that that was just the opening of the movie and then we could get right into the plot instead of like 15 minutes of you know, Amazons riding horses and shooting arrows and, you know, doing the weird CGI wire jumps and stuff like that. Like it's, it all looks very pretty, but it, it, it is nothing. It's 15 minutes. You could have cut out of a two and a half hour movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let me ask you this, Captain America, not counting his appearances in other movies has had three movies on his own so far, right? Well, well, he's had two movies on his own. Civil War, it's very much of very much them saying, okay, our second Avengers movie didn't work out very well. What if we tried this? But, well, his name's on the marquee, so I'm going to at least sure. give him the okay. benefit of the doubt. So three movies that he, he was the title character. How many of those movies did he go to pound town? I mean, we're. I mean, there there are good arguments to the fact that Captain America is a virgin throughout the entire MCU so far, up until going back in time at the end of Endgame to have his life with Peggy. Well, I mean, regardless of his, you know, punch card, the answer is zero. So his character is established that he can feel love, but he's not looking to you know, do the deed. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman has had two movies with her as the marquee. She's two for two. And I keep remembering that Family Guy cutaway where they say, you know, the Hallmark movie, I'm going to show you how in the next hour and a half that all your problems can be solved by my penis. And it's, <laughs> it, I mean, if you're going to make these comparisons to the Richard Donner Superman of like, this is someone we should look up to. This is someone who's inspiring and then juxtapose it to she can't function as an individual without Chris Pine in her bed. Mm. It's it's cheapening. And then if you think of the movies that came after chronologically where she's not on the marquee, but she's, 
you know, functioning well with others and she's getting along. All her problems were solved by him <laughs> and his groinal area. And it wasn't even his. It was some other guys that he was steering. And it's it's. It's sad that it's like building up. Oh, this is going to be the greatest meal you've ever had. And it's like, oh, yeah. So oh, this, this is the best restaurant. You go there and you have the appetizer. You're like, oh, my God, that was the best appetizer I've ever had. And like, yeah, wait till you get the meal. And you're like, oh, you're building this up. This is going to be a great meal. And then they give you like tainted meat. You're like, oh, I'm sad now. If you hadn't built it up, it wouldn't have been so bad. I'm going to go poop my brains out. Clearly, in the first movie with Chris Pine, um, things like, you know, hooking up with him was essential for her to really come into her own. And then but something was still missing. And it was this other guy's body that needed Chris Pine to guide it. So clearly that was like that was the correct combination for her to feel like, right, this is perfect now. Poor you've, Chris you've Pine. The right, was not and the right tools for the job. Congrats. <sighs> Yeah, it's they're definitely. I I understand bringing back Chris Pine from a from just like a strain of because made that she were backing her with with that group of dudes that were going into war with her, but namely having Chris Pine next to her and her being the fish out of water. Daddy. Jenkins coming into the second one saying, okay, we're going to reverse it. He's going to come back, but he's going to be the fish out of water because he's going to be a man at a time. That that works totally. And Chris yeah. Pine's great, so that part of the movie is fun. I understand the idea of bringing back Chris Pine and having that reversal of he's the, man, uh, he's the fish out of water and she's showing him the world, but bringing him back instantly points out to the audience that we don't feel comfortable making a Wonder Woman movie that lies solely on Gal Gadot's shoulders. And I understand why she's not a terrific actress, but if you're going to give her a second movie, you need to be confident in the fact that she can hold up the movie. Yeah. And I mean, she's the part and she can do the action scenes like nobody's yeah. business. Oh, sure. Yeah, totally. It's just, and, and even when she's normally acting, it's okay. I don't think that they gave her a proper character. And I'm not saying, like, the character she played in the first movie was deficient. The first movie was perfect. But this is, like, what, 80 years later? People change. I mean, we should have seen how she changed other than just she's wearing different clothes. But she still had all these pictures in her house and she's pining after him so much that when she gets a wishing rock, it's the first wish she makes. I think it should have been more like a, a weird science thing. Like they, they don't want to create a woman every single day of the week. It's just that happened to be the wish they made when they had the fates aligned and their wish would come true. So like you show the pictures in her room, but show her well adjusted. And then when she gets the rock, she looks over and she sees the picture and like, Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Like, don't don't like, make her it, deficient it as a character. Yeah, it might have worked better if we had gotten like, uh, you know, I don't normally go to bat for Zack Snyder, but the opening montage that he does at the beginning of the Watchmen movie that gives you the alternate history in a montage 
is so well done. Give me that. Show me where was she during World War II? Where was she during the Cuban Missile Crisis? You know, I understand those might be future movies or something like that, you know, or something like that. But show me, give me a montage of those 80 years and show me why she can't, you know, functionally have another boyfriend or maybe she did it at a certain point, you know. You know what would have worked best, and I'm going to fix it for you, and WB's <laughs> going to call me, and they're going to be like, damn it, man, where were you? This is what they do. They showed a picture of her and an old woman going to Ellis Island, and it's implied that's Etta Candy. So, yeah. and, and then they show the pictures of all the other people. Uh, under Either they died in battle or they grew old as well. So play it from the angle that she's not aging, but everyone around her has aged and died. So she has a problem forming connections because they will age and die. Chris mm-hmm. Pine has not aged. He, like her memory of him, has not been tarnished by age. He is always in that picture, same age. And so it's like the one relationship she made outside of her island that hasn't withered away. And that's why she's so attached to him. They didn't really play it by that angle, but they could really they've they've never had a movie with Superman where they play into the fact that he's, you know, is he immortal? Is he not? I don't know. But this movie is saying right up front. Yeah, she's immortal. Why didn't they go further? Just like everybody around her that she's loved has died. That's why she doesn't love people. It's not that Chris Pine was the greatest man she's ever slept with, because clearly he wasn't. But just say like, ah. Have her have a conversation with uh, Cheetah before Cheetah became Cheetah, where she's like, oh, yeah, you know, um, he's the only person who's who's the same age or whatever. I guess he couldn't she couldn't tell her because it was still a secret who she was. Find somebody she can confide in. What what I find off putting about the way Wonder Woman is portrayed and even in her first movie, it was kind of okay just because. I kind of give it a pass because the first movie was fun. Um, But the problem with her is that we have too many examples of, of wonder woman in comics and in good animated medium already. Like we have a, we have her in the justice league animated show. We have her in, I mean, even heck back to the super friends and stuff. And we, and we have her in, Harley Quinn show and all of these other instances. So we kind of have an idea of wonder woman's personality and persona and like what she embodies and how she feels. And wonder woman has always felt like the adult in the room, you know, the one who's like, you can't, you can't make her look like a fool. She is so capable and so in control and she's just not, she's so above everything. She's so like, the idea of her ever being a fish out of water doesn't work because she's the ocean, I guess. And well, the like, first time she left the island, she can be a fish out of water. But after she's sure. lived there for 70 years, that's where you get the experience and confidence. Yeah. And I don't know. It just is hard for me that that she not, just doesn't feel like the Wonder Woman that I've seen in a lot of other things that I've really enjoyed. And I, you know, that's on me to have to get over because – I'm not sitting here going, everything must be exactly how I liked it. It's like, no, I like to see new interpretations. It's just, well, I don't particularly love this interpretation of Wonder Woman. I'm I'm happy that other people love it. I'm kind of bored 
of it, and I'm just like, okay, that's fine. I don't. Well, you know. but again, this is also, and I keep going back to like Batman Returns. This is a movie where it's a Wonder Woman movie, but she is the least prominent main character in it because it's very much a Maxwell Lord movie and a Cheetah movie. And yeah. even to a lot of extent, it's a Steve Trevor movie before it's a Wonder Woman movie. Like the way Batman returns, Batman is Batman for like 16 minutes of that two hour, 15 minute movie or something like that. And and it's very much Danny DeVito as the Penguin, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, and even Christopher Walken as Max Shrek, who's not even a comic book character. Those three dominate that movie. This movie top to bottom pedro pascal is playing to the rafters so he's he's very much he's in control of every scene that he's in and he seems to understand the goofiness aspect of this movie and Kristen wig certainly does she knows okay by the end of this movie i'm going to be a cgi cat person (laughs) i i'm not going to be subtle about being like the nerd at the beginning of the movie and yeah, I've seen that that meme that they've been passing around of like Edward Nigma, Selena Kyle, uh, you know, all of the comic book supervillains before they're supervillains where it's it's uncanny how they all have big glasses, they all have greasy hair, they all drop their notebooks all over the floor and somebody is always mean to them. It it is a trope that they need to knock the hell off because it's not it's not very good anymore. It really never was great, but Kristen Wiig pulls it off because even like, I mean, you go back to like Batman forever and Edward Nigma as played by Jim Carrey from moment one, he is a psychopath. He is an absolute nutcase from the moment we meet him. He's obsessed with Bruce Wayne to an unhealthy degree and it works. It's a hell of a take that totally works. Uh, but Kristen Wiig as Barbara, as Barbara Minerva in this, she's a fairly regular person who just has a lot of insecurity. And Kristen Wiig is really good at playing that. So when she's on screen as this hopeless nerd, she's still the highlight of what's going on in the scene when she's standing next to perfect diana prince and that feels weird and then pedro pascal shows up and it's the three of them in a shot and Kristen wig is playing her usual thing where she's doing a lot of that improvised kind of side talk which every line is a good line because she's just kind of riffing pedro pascal is playing a big crazy cartoon character <clears throat> And Gal Gadot's kind of standing there waiting for her next line. Like, <laughs> like I'm not allowed to be the fun person in this scene because I'm the hero and I'm not, you know, secretly a psychopath or going to turn into a CGI cat person. So what can I do in this scene? And it's kind of like Michael Keaton in Batman Returns where it's like that, that sequence near the end of the movie where you have Christopher Walken just gnawing on scenery you have michelle pfeiffer like ripping off her costume you know completely bug-eyed and insane 
And I think by that point, Danny DeVito's even dead at that point. He's still Michael Keaton's presence than Batman is in that movie. So I think that's part of the problem that people have with this movie is Wonder Woman is overshadowed from moment one. But admittedly, I really like Pedro Pascal in it. He's having a lot of fun. And boy, 2020 ended up actually being his year, oddly. Is it possible that Pedro Pascal, 1,000 million percent playing Trump, means the movie was poisoned because people hate Trump? Uh, you know, I mean... Subconsciously, even. I don't even because... think that's that. I think it goes beyond that. I think that, and I'm I'm not clever enough to come up with this on my own, but I think that somebody said this on Twitter that Wonder Woman 1984 was, it's it got a bad backlash on film Twitter especially because it's a movie that was written and shot and performed two years ago. So it yeah. was supposed to be for an alternate universe to 2020 where mm-hmm. none of this horrible crap happened to any of us. We did not have this this nightmare of a year that we all had with this pandemic and all of the turmoil that's taken over every single day of this last year. The 2000, the 2020 that this movie was supposed to be released in theaters in was supposed to be a much safer environment for people to go see this movie. And because everybody had to sit on their couch on Christmas day and watch it on HBO, because it's not safe enough to go to a movie theater. I think that, soured the movie from the get-go i think if this was if like chris said earlier when we first started talking about it the whole you know being able to be won over by a movie because of the theater experience this one didn't have that and Mm. that was a big factor for this movie because imagine being in a movie theater with children while she's saving the little girl in the mall and you know knocking jewel thieves heads together and Kristen Wiggs making a funny about cat print, you know, fashion and Chris Pine is wearing a fanny pack. It's it's all a whole lot of fun if we get to share it together in a safe environment when we're sitting at the tail end of the worst year of our lives on our couch going, well, I had to pay fifteen dollars a month for HBO so that I could watch this movie and. It's uh, it's just just kind of feels like a movie. It doesn't feel like an experience. I think that that the the whole Trump of his performance, I don't think is it is. But at the same time, I don't think that that's the highlight of it. I think the highlight of it is he's 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 doing a kind of Trump motif Without diving too much into the politics, there's a difference between him and Tim uh, Tim Apple and Elon yeah, Musk. Tim Apple. Uh, Steve Jobs. The difference <laughs> is that, you know, Apple, Tesla, they're actually successful. Trump had this TV persona who was successful, but all the actual rich people who worked with him said, yeah, he was never actually successful. He just kept taking loans to pay off loans so in this movie as the omnipotent audience we get to see both sides we see that everybody knows him and he's got his catchphrase and 
people introduce him as, oh, he's, he's that TV guy. And then we see him walk into his office that is empty because he has no employees. And I think that dual veneer of everybody knows him as the rich guy and they fluster and are happy to be with him. But then we see him in his private time begging his last investor who looked identical to Rex Tillerson for some reason. And then when he leaves and calls Pedro Pascal a loser and Pedro Pascal looks at his son who overheard and he says, I'm not a loser. Uh, uh, he's the loser. Like, that's exactly what Trump says. And it it was hard to glaze over that. Oh, but, sure. I mean, it wasn't Pedro Pascal's fault, but somebody wrote that line and somebody wrote the stage direction of he walks into an office that is empty. You know, his whole motivation is he pretends to be wealthy and rich. He actually wants to be wealthy and rich, and that's why he t- takes the stone. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that also just feeds into the 80s of it, because that was the whole idea of the 80s was as long as your image said one thing, that's what you were. It didn't matter whether or not it was even true. And his whole thing of, you know, life is good, but, you know, why why not more? His whole... His whole villain monologue is why not have more, more, more ask for the world. And mm-hmm. that, that four panel meme is amazing though. Oh yeah. That's the best Life thing. It could be with. good and you put something, but it could be better. And then you show something else. Yeah. I know. I mean, we, you know, everybody's rightfully, I think pointed out all of the really weird stuff about the movie and what doesn't work. I still kind of had fun with it. It was still a, a fun family watch for us. Uh, I would say even more so than Soul, because Soul is very, it very committed to being as bittersweet as Pixar can get away with, which is pretty damn far because they're Pixar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wonder Woman eighty four is trying so hard to be fun, and it. For the most part, I think it lands fun. It's just, it's not what people were expecting, I don't think. And the thing that everybody forgets is that that movie was made so long ago. It got pushed back. It didn't just get pushed back because of the pandemic. It got pushed back even a year before that. Yeah. That was supposed to come out in, like, summer of 19. And it got pushed back so far them releasing it on Christmas Day on HBO was them. Fi- that was Warner Brothers finally throwing up a flag saying, OK, we've got to put this movie out because by yeah. the end of 2021, by the summer of 2021, all the Trump stuff that we just got done talking about would be pretty irrelevant. Right. It would be it would be as irrelevant as an old tweet, as Arnold Schwarzenegger said. I like it. Poor soul. I mean, that story of. Like a person who's lived their life and is quote unquote dead, teaching a soul that has not lived that life is worth living. That's been done before. And I'm not saying that Pixar can't take a story that's been done before and do it in the Pixar way. And they kind of did. But a lot of their other movies, you don't have that baggage of, oh, it's this story, but Pixar is doing it. And it, it just felt like. Pixar was remaking a movie that existed somewhere else. So you could say, yeah, it's a pretty good remake, but it didn't have that Pixar originality of like, nobody's ever thought of this idea before. What if toys were alive or what if, 
monsters had a civilization and they scared kids as like energy source. The, those were just such great ideas. And this is, you, you remember that movie we saw that one time with the uh, old actor who played Uncle Ben in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man? It's like, yeah, that was a good movie. Let's, let's just do that. Well, <laughs> the thing about Soul that was very striking in a bad way to me is that it reminded me of uh, not a Pixar movie, but a DreamWorks movie, which is The Boss Baby. And uh, what I mean, what I mean by that is that it reminded me of it because it's a movie that gives you this very sweet, very simple and easy to swallow premise. And then it bogs down like 20 to 30 minutes of the movie because it has to show you, OK, so this is the ethereal plane where all of this takes place and this, these are the rules. This is how it works. You're this kind of soul. You have to go over here. And when you go over there, you have to learn how to be one of these guys. And once you've learned how to do that, then you have to teach one of these people how to become a new person. But they're not assigned yet to a regular person. So you have to make sure that they figure out which kind of person they're going to be. And it's like, oh, man, this feels like the boss baby where the baby shows up and wait, he can talk and he's, he's Alec Baldwin and he wears a suit and shit. This is all how wacky, what a crazy, very easy to figure out premise. And then that movie's like, no, wait, now they're going to enter an ethereal plane where there's uh, corporate headquarters. And all of these babies are trying to figure out how to push up love levels away from puppies and further towards babies. But so they send out field agents like the boss baby in order to do uh, field research into how to make babies more lovable and puppies less lovable. And, but it, the parents can't find out because then they'll find out and then he has to be turned into a real baby. And, and my head explodes because this is just too much premise. And yeah. you could have just, you could have just made a really simple movie. You could have cut all 20 minutes of, weird exposition and, and table setting out of this movie and it would have made the emotion stuff land a lot harder without you know i i just there's too many rules attached to a movie like that like inside out really worked because it was just this is a little girl she has emotions that's us that's the whole premise yeah, it was good. And the ticking clock of like he has to have everything sorted out to do his gig was OK, but oh, yeah. it wasn't. I mean, I guess there was also that Australian concept squiggly line, like trying to balance the books, but it wasn't ever shown as like a, a threat. And the movie that I referenced before with the actor, you know, we'll have to look it up later, but it's the exact story of soul. But I guess with white people. But yeah. uh, this the ticking clock of that was much more impactful because the idea of the afterlife or I guess the before life, whatever, was this big white area. And there was this huge door, like big enough for an elephant to walk through. And it was open and souls would go kind of like the pit in the floor for soul. But once this. um I guess kid didn't want to be born like he was supposed to be born, but he didn't want to be sounds similar to Tina Fey's character, but because it was his, he was next, like it was his turn and they can't skip. So as long as he was refusing to be born, 
no other baby could be born. So there's, you know, Uncle Ben basically says, let me take the kid down to Earth and show him how great Earth is. And of course, Uncle Ben's like a con man who just wants to live some more. But while they're doing it, there's just this kind of in the background, a bunch of pregnant ladies who are way past their due date and want to have their babies and they can't. And then you keep going back to the before life and like everybody's banging on the door trying to open it. And they're like, our mechanisms are breaking down. We need to have these babies be born. It made it like this small story with this old man and this young kid, but also this global catastrophe that the birth rate has dropped to zero and it, the absurdity of it was hilarious. And Pixar could have done that. But instead, it's like, I think it, they don't even care that their books are balanced. It's only this one guy. He's like, ah, my numbers are off. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Like, nobody <laughs> cares. It's it's so, it they, they were so up their own butts saying, like, this squiggly line represents the emotion of this. They didn't bother to say, like, do we even care that this guy is not where he should be? Or is it just you know, an academic oddity. Like, oh, he didn't want to go where he was supposed to go. Eh, whatever. Pass the weed. Like, nobody cared. Yeah, it, it it did seem to lack a lot of urgency and a lot of stakes beyond beyond this one character's sense of fulfillment, which which is fine. It totally works. Uh, it's... I don't know. It just kind of felt like they couldn't nail down exactly what they wanted to do with this very high concept that they had. To me, I'm very much in the minority. A lot of people found it very profound, very heartbreaking, very lovely. And I'm not saying it's not. It's it's a very well put together movie. The performances in it are great. I could have I just I went in expecting music to play a lot bigger role in it. And I really wasn't prepared for, like, a body swap premise that takes over the entire second act. It's it's just an awful lot that they tried to... They were trying to do an inside-out kind of Pixar movie, or like an up, but they also realized that at the last second, oh, we need to do something that can that we can put in a trailer, something that we could maybe make some toys out of, so... Suddenly we've got, you know, a cat with a man inside it and a man with Tina Fey inside it. That's a really weird se- section of the movie that is funny, but it doesn't market it that way. No, I mean, it's it's a hard movie to market. And they were also trying not to market it too much because I felt like I felt like soul more so than Wonder Woman. They were really trying to hold on to it until the pandemic was over to release yeah. it in theaters because Wonder Woman, everybody watched that trailer. If you went to like a drive-in at all, you watched that trailer every time for six or seven months. Mm-hmm. Everybody was going to go see Wonder Woman out of a sense of obligation at a certain point. And sure enough, they did. It actually did very well at the box office relative to this year. Mm-hmm. But Soul... You want, me to, you want me to fix Soul? Because I, I mean... Pixar is going to knock down my door and say, where were you? That's just, that's how these things are going. Constantly people knock down my door. I tell them to wear a mask. Dan, this is what movie fixer. I'm the movie fixer. Right. So you've got the whole thing where he's focused on music his whole life at the expense of basically living. 
And then he finds himself, you know, dismissing all of the small things that Tina Fey's character says, like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And he's like, no, that's that's not important. That's not music. And then the you know, he's a teacher and his uh, class student comes in and she's like, I'm going to quit music. And he's like, well, you shouldn't and ends up inspiring her to keep doing it. And they keep driving home this, you know, yeah, you know, you're not really destined to do one thing. You know, you you humans are so small minded that you think it's just one thing in life. And the whole time you realize, oh, you know what? They've established this Schrodinger's gun of there is a position in the ethereal plane where people teach. Schrodinger's gun? Schrodinger's, not Schrodinger's gun. Chekhov's gun. <laughs> Thank you. Schrodinger's gun. It's either shooting or not shooting. No, Chekhov's gun, where it's like, oh, I bet what they're going to do is, you know, he's going to realize that it's not music that he was destined to do. He's good at it, but he was destined to teach. And he taught that one girl, and he's teaching Tina Fey, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, nobody was able to reach her, but you were. You're a great teacher. And he was going to be like, oh, you know what? I feel this sense of pride. And the school had had offered him this teaching position. He was like, "Wow, this is what I, this is what I was meant to do because this is what I can help the world with." And I was like, "That's a really rich story." I and then they were like, "More, yeah." The, but and then I thought, okay, they brought him back to life, and he did the music, and and it didn't fulfill him the way he thought it would. And so he goes home and he play, you know, he gets into the zone, and that lets him go back to the ethereal plane and i thought you know what i bet he just like he died at the piano and this is the classic pixar make you cry but the switcheroo is this time it's at the end so nobody was expecting it and so you know he died and now his whole existence if you can call it that is he teaches souls about earth and how great it is and he's this really great mentor and i was like you know what that would have been a rich story this movie would have been great and pixar said no, he he likes music. Screw the teaching. It's left on the cutting room floor. We don't care. Like, why would you? Oh, Pixar, you you poop the bed. What are you doing? So my suggestion would either he stays dead at the piano for that emotional, you know, punch, and he's teaching people in the afterlife, or you have him come back to life and realize he doesn't want to play music. He wants to teach people music. And have that be much more fulfilling than, you know, before. But the whole, you know, he wanted to play music. He got a chance to play music. There was an obstacle, but he overcame it. And now he's playing music. There was no character growth for him. And that's why the movie, I don't think, will really stick around. Because nobody cares about him. But he's marketed as the main character. Tina Fey's character grew. But she was specifically designed to be so nondescript that you can't lock onto her. Chris is listening to all this like, I didn't see either of these movies, so whatever you <laughs> Well, I ended up spending last week playing through a game called Thimbleweed Park on my Switch. I mean, it's kind of in the vein of what we're talking about because it's all very it's different. It's out there, and it takes place in 1987. So it's kind of like a throwback, like Wonder Woman. Um, it have, have either of you heard of this one? No. No. This one, this one is a game that is done in the style of the old uh, Lucasfilm 
kind of point and click adventures like Secret of Monkey Island or uh, Maniac Mansion. Oh, okay. So it's done in that old art style. It was kickstarted a few few years ago. I think this one actually came out in 2017. And um, I had heard some good things about it. I'd never really played one of these old style point and click games. And it's like the whole point of it, the game, is that you go around, you can pick up items, you have different verbs you can use, such as look at, give, use, push, pull, um, talk to, that sort of thing. And there's a lot of puzzles you have to solve. And, and it eventually, like the whole premise is these two agents, there's a murder in the little town of Thimbleweed Park. This guy is killed and he's an agent Ray and agent Reyes show up and they have to, they're like, ah, federal agents. Like, so looks like we got to solve this case. Like, yep. Are you from headquarters? Yep. I'm from headquarters in Albuquerque. There's no headquarters in Albuquerque. Oh, I assure you there is. So it's like, okay, there's some mystery here. A, who are, who is Ray and who is Reyes and B, where'd this murder come from? What's up and what's up with Thimbleweed park. And, and it's still done very silly. So like you meet the sheriff in town hall and he's this he's this sheriff and he's got this way of talking where he says oh everything areno he's like oh sounds like you got a, a corpse areno you gotta deal with down there hope you federinos can help fix it and then you go down in the basement to meet with the coroner and it's the same exact character except instead of a sheriff hat he's got like a medical uh jacket on he's like oh looks like we got a big case to solve a who and eventually you're like, you can ask him, you're like, you're just the sheriff, aren't you? He's like, oh, no, I'm not like that sheriff, that sheriff. I mean, I guess I can see the resemblance around the eyes. Uh, but, uh, you know, he always does that weird Areno thing. I say a who. And like you go back up to the sheriff and he's, you know, swapped again. Like you're just the coroner. He's like, no, no, no. I, the coroner does that weird a who thing. I say Areno. And it's like, OK, that's kind of funny. Um, but like so it's the setup in this weird world and i love that some of the puzzles are pretty clever because the one one like through line puzzle that's used a lot is um, there's a telephone book where you have to actually look up phone numbers because you have some telephones that you have to use so at one point one of the agents gets knocked out and drug into the sewers and she can't get out of the sewer uh, but there's a note on the wall um, next to a payphone that says you know in case of emergency call this person well the payphone doesn't have any money and doesn't have a phone book but up on the, the ground level you've got the other agent who can get to a telephone that doesn't work but does have uh, a phone book so you can look up the phone number you need and then the person underground can use it but then she needs a dime so the guy has to find a dime and then put it down the storm drain in the right area so it's like okay i like this it's an interesting you know puzzle to solve and and this happens there's a lot of puzzles you have to solve that are kind of like think think far ahead and just think about like, oh, at one point you need to find this guy's lucky number because his lucky number is useful for solving another puzzle. And you're like, oh, what's his lucky number? Like, oh, yeah, when he won the lottery a few days ago. So you're like, oh, you go to the newspaper, like the local newspaper because they have stacks of old newspapers. And you look through the stacks of old newspaper and find one when the day that this guy won the lottery years ago. And that's when he says, is, you know, I won the lottery using my lucky number is blank. And it's like, OK, so I like that. But then there's something called moon logic. Have either of you heard the term moon logic? <laughs> no. Okay. Moon logic is <laughs> the idea that you have to solve these puzzles by like, why would you ever need to do that to solve this puzzle? So there's one where you need to follow these weird people into the woods at this trailhead and it's a maze and you can't get through unless you can actually follow them correctly. 
and there's no way to do it. So how do you follow them? Well, there's a puddle out front. So my first thought is, oh, I need to put something in the puddle. Well, you have to go back. There's a character who's not an agent. She's the daughter of the wealthy millionaire who owned most of the town, who was in charge of the Pillowtronics factory, who was part of this big mystery. And she she went off and became a game designer and was like, you know, became an outcast in her family because she didn't continue the legacy. But if you go back to her old room and you pick up her math trophy, which is made of pewter, um, you can use that to then take that to the old Bannon factory, fill it up with some radioactive waste, and then take this glowing waste back to the puddle and pour it in the puddle. Then the people will walk through the puddle and they'll track this glowing footsteps. And it's like, that's moon logic there. It's like, why would that ever work? What, what was the point of that? And there's also other like little, there, there's like, there's red herrings everywhere. There's one like little sequence of puzzles where you have to figure out how to turn this um, Movietron thing back on, which is basically like a red box. And you need to turn this thing back on. So you have to find a way to fix the tube so that it can turn back on. And then you can get a free movie. If you find a flyer from the pizza guy, who's handing out flyers for free movies. You use that, you use this coupon, and you get a, a Betamax tape of Blazing Saddles. And you're like, okay, I, where is this going to come into play? And it's like, it doesn't at all. You just have Blazing Saddles on Betamax in your inventory for the rest of the game. It doesn't, and even the characters even say, she, you know, she's like, well, I can't play that in there or anywhere because there's no Betamax players anywhere in the town. And I'm like, you're... That means at some point I'm going to have to use it. Somewhere there's a hidden, like, nope, it turns out that was actually a cut puzzle. They just kind of kept the pieces in, but it's like the, the solution and like the need for it was cut entirely. But that's, that's I, was so, I was so bummed that the game sets up, it's an interesting premise and it has more mystery. And you realize, okay, so the Pillotronics factory, there was a fire at the factory and, and, the town is kind of in disarray and it's basically a ghost town with very few places left and everyone's trying to solve their own mysteries. Like why, what happened to Chuck? Cause he died just a couple days ago. But like what happened to him? Why can't, what, what's in his will? We need to read his will. And who is this guy who was killed and why was he killed? And, and why does it seem like we're framing the guy? It's like this, the town, Willie, the town drunk. Like why are we framing him for the murder of this rando? Like, what does it all mean? And, I I played it was like I played for like 15 hours to the end of the game and I was engrossed. I was like I want to know. This is this is interesting. Tell me more. Let me find out what's going to happen here. Show me show me something like you you're building this thing up and I was so pissed that the game does what so many indie games do where they cop out and go Wackity schmackity wasn't in. What if we're in a video game? And I'm like, come on, guys. And it turns out that that's the final like answer to everything. Is they start to because like, the game is already meta. They make jokes about the fact that they're clearly in a video game. Where I'm like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll allow that. That's within the humor of this game. Um, they're like, oh, that seems like a really important item that I'll need by the end of the game. It's like, okay, that's kind of funny, but like. At some point, you realize, oh, so like an AI was built and they realize like what's going on? Like, well, haven't you ever thought that things were weird about this town? Like the fact that it has a population of 80, but there's 3000 names in the phone book. I'm like, OK, sure. That's kind of interesting. What's the real answer? Because that seemed like a bigger conspiracy. Oh, yeah. The answer to that is 
you're in a video game and we need to find a way to get to the next level up of the video game to break this simulation because we're in a simulation and we don't have any control. I'm like, oh, you know, like you only you like, look, you can't even say anything unless you you're predestined to say it. So you like you only have three options, you things you can say and then you can say something. And then like now you only have two options because you used up that one. I'm like, oh, please tell me that this is not the answer. I'm like, yep. Wackity schmackity. You're in a video game like I was so pissed off that that was this, the end of this long thing of like, there's no, that wasn't fun to me. There wasn't a big mystery to solve. I'm tired of, of indie games like going, whoa, what if the construct of a video game would be weird if you were in a video game? Like, well, yeah, get, get in, play a new song, guys. Honestly, that's been a tired thing since like the PlayStation 2 era. I mean, I distinctly remember Max Payne and Metal Gear Solid 2 both pulling that in the final act of the game as as everything is unraveling at a faster and faster pace. Eventually, the main character gets to a point where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm in a video game. Oh, no. Oh, Max and, Payne, you're right. Yeah, Max Payne pulls that. I mean, Max Payne does it a couple of times where first it's like, Max, you're in a graphic novel. Oh man, I just I realized the the hard lines, the the muted colors. It was so painful and yet so real. I was in a graphic novel. And then they do the entire scene again, only it's in a video game. He's like the endless amounts of ammunition, the slow motion. It was so painful to admit I was in a video game. Mm. And Metal Gear Solid 2, that that game delights in screwing with the player for the last I don't know, 3 hours of the game. Uh, one hour of which is just one long cutscene, but it's that's a thing that was clever like 20 years ago. It's not clever now in your indie game. Yeah, there it's, was a if do you ever neither of you ever play Conker's Bad Fur Day on the N64? That was I've one seen that the I, cartridge. Does that count? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that one late in the game. Um, you are it's basically an homage to Alien. Because you're in like the yellow, um, like lifter suit or whatever it's called, the hydraulic thing, and you fight basically an alien, like a xenomorph, and you kill it, and you're about to die, and uh, the game crashes, and Conquer looks around, and he's like, ah, these testers were crap, and they didn't even fix a game-breaking bug at the end of the game. All right, well, I guess I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna use this as my advantage, and he basically just like you know cartoonishly sidesteps the his own death there and continues the game at in a, the next part past that assuming that he's gotten out of it and i'm like okay that's fine because that whole game itself is irreverent um and it's all about like hey here's a fun happy cutesy you know mascot platformer on the n64 screw all of that and screw all of you for wanting something happy and cutesy conquer is is completely shit-faced drunk he's he's got to solve puzzles by pissing on stuff and and making cows shit themselves to death and he's, he's trying to collect money because he owes a debt. And it's like, okay, this is funny. So, like, all of that, I'm like, I can accept that. And I started to accept that sort of stuff in some video games that were clever. Like, Undertale does meta commentary very well. And it takes the idea of being in a video game pretty well because it doesn't just, like, it says something a bit more. It doesn't just say, you're in a video game, haha, But it's more like... 
we're in like there are other universes out there and it kind of plays with the the endless multiverse theory of like every choice you make or every possibility is out there so like there's a scene where a character is holding an umbrella and not, there's no rain and you're like why are you holding an umbrella and they say oh it's raining somewhere else and it's like ah that's deep um, and it has a lot of that stuff happening in the game and so like when you get to these conclusions of like we're in an endless cycle of repeating and repeating and I can't break out of this. I feel like I don't have control. And it, you do start to get more control in weird ways and you break the game in fascinating ways. And I liked what it did there because it felt new and original. This one, I was just really disappointed that it set up a pretty strong premise and an interesting mystery and interesting characters. But then at a certain point, like they've set up that like all of the four sorry, five main characters that you're playing in that game all have a pretty real conclusion they want to get to, but then you find out that every other conclusions are complete bullcrap because none of it exists. None of them exist. None of their motivations really exist. It's all just a video game, and you just need to get to the end of the game and end it. And, in fact, they even do that. Like, oh, you've made it to the end of it. Here are, like, the last items you need to solve each of your puzzles go do that and get closure and then be done with the game. And it's like, that's not satisfying in any sort of way. I'm so disappointed with that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a bummer. And like, I've been playing a lot of good games lately and that one I was really excited about. And it was still like, it's one of those hard ones where it's very rare that I will play a game that I, for, you know, 95% of the game, I'm loving it. And the ending, I just go, it's not worth it anymore. And that's one that I hate to say, like, yeah, it was really like the writing was great. I liked the art design. I liked a lot of the puzzles. It was very clever. Definitely made me think hard. But that ending just completely shits the bed. And it, it makes me hate the entire experience going back. I'm like, wow, I'm never going to play that again. Knowing that that's the ending there is. Hey, wackity schmackity. <laughs> we make video games. And I'm like, man, it sucks because you're like, it's from like very talented developers because they were it was the original guys who made those old lucasfilm video games so it's like wow is this really the best you guys could do on your own with mm. you know ears removed the, you you just wanted to make that you know what 30 years removed yeah 30 years removed and all the best you could do was say what if you were in a video game okay bummer wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. That's a bummer, man. It was. Yeah. Don't recommend that one, unfortunately. Uh, I, I will recommend uh, something I've been playing uh, just the last couple of weeks is Hades. I finally uh, jumped on the bandwagon for that one because that's been one of the top games of the last year or so ratings-wise. People love it. Yep. And I've never really played anything roguelike like that before. And... Uh, it's a lot of fun, especially, you know, a lot of people drop down their 60, 70 shekels on uh, Cyberpunk, and <laughs> I wasn't going to do that because I still have an Xbox One original, mm-hmm. vanilla Xbox One, so that would have been a waste of money on my part. Yeah. Uh, so instead, I dropped down 25 bucks on Hades on the Switch, and... Wow, what a what a much better investment that is. <laughs> I hear it's so good. I've I've had it in my wish list. I keep getting other games 
and I'll get Hades eventually. I know it's so good. I think that I just needed like to distance myself from everyone else playing it, going, that's so good. And like, I got to take his time away. I'll get to it. I have so much of my other backlog to get to. Oh yeah. No, it, I had to do the same. I, I, I got, you know, a couple of months distance from everybody praising the crap out of it. And I understand why it's, I mean, it's not perfect, but the things that I love about it are the little things that I think of with video games that I don't think are at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. The voice acting is terrific. The art style is great, but I really love how they nailed making all of the the ancient uh, Greek gods and demigods into like the most dysfunctional family group chat on Messenger that you've ever seen. <laughs> Like, that's the characterization they're going for, is just, like, the messiest family you can ever think of. Mm-hmm. And that's the backdrop of, you know, the the demigod son of Hades is trying to escape the place Hades. He's trying to escape hell, and he just keeps dying, reverting back, and having to start over again, and it's... It's just got great ambiance. It's got a a great uh, wry, very kind of dark humor to it. It's a lot of fun, and it's not a very complicated game. But it, I mean, you you would dig it. I, I definitely, Chris. I think you would have a lot of fun with it. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll play it eventually. <laughs> So, Kyle, where can everyone find us? <laughs> uh, everybody can find us at, uh, well, first of all, uh, www.media-sandwich.com is where you can find the majority of things. Uh, recently, uh, we've ventured into video as well. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is the Media Sandwich YouTube, where so far I reviewed a movie that I uh, bought at the dollar store. And I'm going to continue doing one of those every month uh, because I bought a bunch of DVDs at the dollar store. I'm so, uh, I'm so that sounds amazing. It, it's uh, the, the everybody I've been saying, everybody be nice uh, because the video <laughs> shot and edited and rendered on my little Chromebook. Uh, but I'm having fun with it. That's the important thing, right? Yeah. And uh, you can find everything that we do is announced via Twitter at media underscore sandwich or uh, uh, on Facebook at um, it's listed as media sandwich. Uh, I believe on Facebook, it's media sandwich podcast show. And then of course I'm at Kyle Martinak on Twitter. And I'm Chris, Stranger. yes, of course. And Dan, I'm a uh, no right tweet. So, uh, Get get a get a silly break from the continuing ridiculously awful reality that we're living by following yeah. us there. Let us whisk you away with stories of wackity schmackity. And new minivans and <laughs> Yeah. There we go. Alright, I gotta go get a get a midnight sandwich. That's what I gotta get. That so sounds good to me. Forty minutes then. <laughs> well, it's gonna have okay. I'm gonna have mini sandwiches. It's gonna now. be a 
It's a very elaborate sandwich. <laughs> it's a sub sandwich. Well, do we want to keep going? Stupid Chris Pine didn't have the manly man penis to fix Wonder Woman.